Welcome again to Doctor Who Podshock. This is Episode 7 for the week of September 19th, 2005. I'm the Doctor, and who are you? Welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, to Doctor Who Podshock. My name is Ken Deep, alongside Louis Trapani and across the pond, of course, the main man, Mr. James Norton. <laughs> Hello. And we Hello. are live today from the <laughs> land of fiction, as we are going to do a review of the brand new DVD, The Mind Robber. Well, it's new here in the States. It's been out for a few months in the UK, but here in the States, it's just recently come to DVD. And the three of us have been enjoying it, so we'll definitely be doing our review of that, plus your feedback and lots of other nifty things. A review, I believe, of Winner Takes All. Is yeah, that that's correct, right. James? And, that's absolutely right. And Chris from Australia reviewed which book? I believe it was The Clockwise, the clockwise, clockwise Man. Clockwise Man. Yeah, Great. that so I did have, last week, yeah. So we'll have an Australian take on it. We'd yeah, like to exactly. welcome Chris on board as our Australian correspondent to Doctor Who Podshock. So welcome aboard, Chris. Welcome aboard, Chris. Yeah, good to have you here. Now, right off the bat, it's time to jump into Doctor Who news. And this week is, well, it's been a little bit busier than it was last week, luckily. Luckily for the Doctor Who news segment, the first and probably the headline uh, event would be the fact that Janet Fielding will be returning, but not to the regular series, not to the Russell T. Davies series, but she will be returning. Actually, she will be joining Big Finish Productions and audio, most likely to feature Peter Davison's Doctor. She'll be returning as uh, companion Tegan Jovanka. And this is quite a stunning event in the fact that she pretty much said she wasn't going to do it. And being that Tegan is such a popular character... It is, uh, it's quite thrilling and it, and it really opens the doors up a lot for Big Finish as far as, um, the Peter Davison era goes. Now they can kind of slot themselves in just about anywhere. She has said though that it's a one, one off, yeah. a one time only thing. Now she's mm-hmm. resisted up until now. Um, she hasn't done any other, she hasn't returned, revisited the, T- the character of Tegan. So this is the first time she's um she's she's back. Not entirely true if you count a fix with Centaurans. Um, that's yes. way way back. But uh, now a lot of uh, a lot of reaction to this on the internet has been that this has really been blockbuster news. And playing the Simon Cowell role now, I will say that it is big news. But if Tom Baker decided to return and join Big Finish. That would be blockbuster news. I believe mm. that this is great news. Don't get me wrong. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And Tegan is one of the most popular characters in the history of Doctor Who. But if when I when you side by side it with Tom Baker, you see that there's big and then there's really big. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's only big because, as you say, she's a popular character. But I think for me, what makes it bigger is the fact that she said no uh, consistently year mm-hmm. after year. And it's only um, with dinner um, over with the, the head over at yeah. uh, Big Finish that she's she's actually volunteered. I don't she know why that is. Yeah, yeah, probably because she's getting fed up of him <laughs> nagging. Um, <laughs> or, or, or that she had a few glasses of wine say or that. something, a little bit of yeah, cherry, but, and the next thing you know, sure, I'll, there you go. I'll do yeah, whatever I'll you do say. Yeah, but he, he's, he <laughs> well, said that uh, Of course, she, we're just teasing her, but... She, he said that uh, she uh, she was very clear that it would only be the one. So, um, but who knows? Um, she, if she, she has may. a great time, she may decide to continue it. And I, and and once again, we're um, Pod Shock pretty much takes the view that um, we consider Big Finish to be canon uh, material. You know, it's really well done. We really very 
positive about Big Finish. I enjoy the audios personally. I, I really, really get into them. And I'm really looking forward to this now. Uh, Davison has always been a, a favorite of mine. And to have Tegan aboard, and we don't know whether they'll have Turlo or whether they'll have Nissa. We don't know what dynamic they're going to use from what point this story may take place. But it really does open the door to just about anything. I wonder if they'll get uh, Matthew Waterhouse on it as uh, Adric. That that would be... Is that uh, flashback? Yeah, something along those lines. I if they did something where maybe it took place after Castrovalva or Forder Doomsday, somewhere in that era, you're thinking, Lewis? Yeah, well, it'd be kind of hard to take place after Earthshot. Uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Though, in a sense, everything that, you know, even now, if they did a flashback, it would have to be probably after Earthshot, chronologically speaking, you know. Now, if you really wanted a blockbuster, <laughs> they would get Tom Baker and do the last season of Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. J&T's first season, and you bring back Adric and Nyssa and... Oh, and, yeah. You know, and do something, well, it would be kind of tough, I guess, with being that Tegan just came aboard with Legopolis, but maybe an alternate take on it. I don't know. I'm just spitballing, you know. Whatever. It's all good. <laughs> okay. Now, we're, we're laughing, and, and I really, I got to do the whole, um, I have to do the whole Casey Kasem thing. I have to bring it down to it's time for something sad. Um, in, in other sci-fi related news, and, and this is someone who was a big influence on me as well as Lewis, and so I, I, I felt it was worth a mention, but legendary director Robert Wise passed away this week. And I have to say that I was pretty ticked off the fact that the American media, the American entertainment media, com- seemed to completely ignore the passing of probably one of the greatest directors of all time, and, and easily the most underrated motion picture director of all time. When you think of the legendary movie directors and you think about the greats, the heavyweight, you know, the, the Hitchcocks and the, and, and the Francis Ford Coppola's and the Steven Spielberg's and the list goes on and on. Heck and poor, you can just keep listening. It always seems like Robert Wise just doesn't cross that, that line and be mentioned in the, the same breath. Meanwhile, the man has directed countless movies that are pure over, genius. Over 40 films, right? Over 40 films. He, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still is a legendary science classic. fiction classic. Mm-hmm. Um, West Side Story, Sound of Music, two in- enormously incredible movies. And then another science fiction classic, The Andromeda Strain, the movie that has been ripped off a half a dozen times since that mm-hmm. movie's come out, at least. And everybody thought... You know, Outbreak came out, and no one mentioned the Andromeda strain. That really annoyed me. The list goes on and on. He, of course, for Star Trek fans, he directed Star Trek The Motion Picture. All you have to do is read my forum on uh, underrated movies, underrated science fiction movies, to know how I feel about Star Trek 1. It is a complete masterpiece. It got torn apart time and time again. The movie is excellent. They wouldn't be a Star Trek movie series if it wasn't for Star Trek The Motion Picture. Mm. And, and for Robert Wise. And let me say another thing about Robert Wise while while we're on this topic and while I feel so passionate about it. Robert Wise did something that many, many, many directors simply cannot do. He made rated G movies. Now, I know that sounds kind of, you know, may sound a little bit odd, but think about that for a second. The man made science fiction or action movies or drama movies or things that are serious and intense and made them rated G. He didn't have to drop the F word on you. He didn't have to show blood. He didn't have to have violence. The man made good, dramatic movies and made them rated G. And that is genius. It is harder to make a movie that is serious and intense and make it rated G than it is to make it rated R. I'm I'm completely convinced of that. Uh, Also, he was the editor on a little-known independent film known as Citizen Kane, just in case you... Oh, yeah. Mm. Some, t- you know, something you may want to check out. <laughs> being facetious about that. So that's Rose my... Bug. That's my... Uh, that is my, my little diatribe on, on uh, Robert Wise. I, uh, very, very sad day, and, and I wanted to make mention of it for no other reason that everyone else seemed to let it slip by, and that's, that's a crying shame. But mm. you know what? Quite honest with you, um, you know, what's what's his name? The guy who did um, the Incredible Hulk movie and, and those things. And, you know, if you, don't worry. There's plenty of hack guys out there that'll that'll keep the, you know, keep motion pictures alive. 
I'm sure Roland Emmerich is working on a science fiction movie right now that'll save the day. Uh, hopefully so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get back to some Doctor Who news, shall we, while we're, while we're here. Um, some clips were discovered of the power of the Daleks. Am I correct in that? I Mr. believe so, yes. So the power of the Daleks were... Um, there were two. The, the Doctor Who restoration team has information on their website. You can find a link to it on ours. But um, there's a production sequence that was discovered along with two clips from um, the Power of the Daleks, and it was um, shown on a um, last Sunday. Well, actually, by the time you listen to this, two Sundays ago, on a show called the Sun- Sunday Past Times that airs on uh, Sunday mornings. And, uh, or aired on that Sunday morning, and they had two clips from, um, the show that was pre, the Power of the Daleks that were previously thought as missing. So, um, I mean, they're not very long, and, um, we're, we're looking forward to seeing them at some point. Yeah, I think they're only what, sort of, uh, 10 minutes. Yeah, it's no, 10 no, seconds, sorry. Yeah, ten, yeah, 10 seconds, seconds yeah. I meant to say. I'm sorry, I got ahead <laughs> of myself. Okay. No, we got all excited when you said 10 minutes. Ooh. 10 minutes, wow. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I got your hopes up, guys. No, I, I meant to say like 10, 15 seconds. Uh, well, yeah. I'm hoping they'll be tagged on a uh, a future Patrick Troughton DVD. I'm sure they will. I mean, being but, that the lost years have already come yeah. out. Yeah, the, the clips are um, the, the Daleks outside of their capsule. So that's all we know, really. Hmm. But nonetheless, it's interesting news because um, uh, and, and every every drop that comes back into our hands is is valuable. Every uh, drop. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we're going to patchwork all this together, and we're going to get an episode. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, if that's what it takes, if it takes twenty sure. years of getting one minute here or thirty seconds there, if that's what it takes to get an episode complete again, well, that's that's just simply what we're going to have to do, or or mm-hmm. the Doctor Who restoration team, who. By the way, definitely don't get enough praise, so let's offer our praise to the Doctor Who Restoration Team. I mean, these guys really... <laughs> yeah. Round of applause, yeah. <laughs> I mean, quite honestly, I, I mentioned a few podcasts ago about how Universal Studios puts out some of their TV shows, and they literally just slap it to DVD. The Doctor Who Restoration Team really takes painstaking effort to make the Doctor Who DVDs the best they can be, and, and really kudos and hats off to them, because... They really are worth every penny. They're always loaded with extras. The the prints of the copies and the prints and the sound and just cleaned up enormously. So right, so bravo yeah. to those guys. I mean, from my perspective, uh, I don't know if I speak for you guys on this, but certainly, obviously, the new uh, DVD box set for the new series isn't out yet. But that has got a lot to live up to in terms of content going along the lines of of the older series DVDs that they're bringing out now just because they've done, as you say, Ken, they've done a marvellous job on them. And uh, I, 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 as a fan, couldn't really have asked for more. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and actually that will lead me into our next segment, which is on the DVD of The Mind Robber. And this is a, this is a great example of uh, the Doctor Who resti- restoration team at its best. You mm-hmm. know, taking an episode from... The late 60s, black and white, you'd think that, that there was no way they could compile, uh, you know, enough, enough, um, material to do supplementary things on the DVD. And yet they did. So that's something that, you know, will be coming up in our, in our review of the Mind Robber DVD. It just, uh, in moments, momentarily, shall we say. So also in the news, uh, I wanted to report that Sylvester McCoy, the seventh doctor, will be the star guest at the Yarmouth Film Festival. And that's, um, where is that, James? That's, uh, down in Norfolk, a, a county, uh, low-lying county, um, in, in southern England, southeast England. He's going to be appearing there along with Jack Douglas from Carry On, and the film festival takes place October 1st through the 9th, but Sylvester McCoy will be on hand on October 2nd at 7.30 p.m. at the Hollywood Cinema uh, for an interview, and they're also going to be screening a couple Doctor Who stories, which um, are Battlefield and Remembrance of the Daleks, and this is part of the festival's Unforgettable Memories package. Mm. So... uh, Pretty interesting stuff. If you want to uh, catch it, it's it, obviously it's, there's going to be Doctor Who material, and he's going to be talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm smiling a bit because of unforgettable memories about Battlefield. Okay. Did <laughs> <laughs> <can> say so. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, Mr. McCoy, <laughs> as, as we like to call him here, for 
for formalities. Mm -hmm. He will be appearing at the Hollywood Cinema at uh, 7.30pm in the evening, obviously, on the 2nd of October, obviously, for an interview. And as we said, uh, the screening of uh, two Doctor Who episodes. So, there we go. Interesting stuff. I also wanted to mention that uh, the CD, the double CD of Doctor Who at the BBC Volume 3 just came out, and I recently received it. I mentioned it the other last week, and I'll have a review of that coming up in a, in a future show, and I've actually just lent it to Lewis, so with any luck, he'll, he'll listen to it, and we could do a <laughs> joint review together. Uh, I wanted to go very quickly to some um, information, new series, Series 2 information, if I may, uh, and just kind of bring everybody up to date. Uh, this is a spoiler warning, a light spoiler warning, only in the, in the chance I might mention something if you don't want to know anything about Season 2 of the new series. Uh, feel free to skip this next part, skip ahead about two minutes. So, uh, Episode 1 apparently is called New Earth, and when I say Episode 1, I'm, I'm skipping by the Christmas Invasion which we know is a one-off, but mm -hmm. Series 1 will open with an episode called New Earth, written by Russell T. Davies. Um, it apparently has involves the return of Cassandra, who was last seen in The End of the World in oh, Season yeah. 1. It's going to be pretty interesting. Tooth and Claw is Episode 2, also written by Russell T. Davies, and possibly features uh, a race of evil cat women, which gives me the shudders when I think about survival. <laughs> Uh, episode three is School Reunion. We already know that K-9 and uh, Elizabeth Slayton are coming back. Episode four is The Girl in the Fireplace, uh, written by Stephen Moffat and set in 18th century France, mm. which I kind of dig. Episode five and six have uh, and seven don't have uh, any titles yet, but apparently episode five may see the return of the Cybermen. Do, do, do. And it's apparently a two-parter, so that would also include uh, episode six as well. Episode seven uh, is an episode written by Mark Gaddis and takes place in the in England in either the 40s or the 50s. Episode eight, The Satan Pit. Uh, new series finally visits an alien planet, Outpost Gallifrey says. Episode nine, ten, eleven, as yet unnamed. Yeah, The uh, Satan Pit's supposed to have... Um Chris um, Evans. Yeah. Evans, thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, and um, and episode nine, which is after Satan's Pit, is actually part two of that. So, uh, episode ten and eleven, as yet untitled. Episode twelve, Army of Ghosts, which is part one of two, which would lead us into the season finale. And Russell T. Davies is, of course, the writer of the last two. So that's um, that's courtesy of www gallifrey onecom which is Outpost Gallifrey, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, the leading Doctor Who news source and uh, general all-around good guys. And the guys who bring you um, Gallifrey won the convention, right? Is it Gallifrey? Yeah, that's right. Do they just call it Gallifrey? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it's just called, uh, as you say, uh, Gallifrey. And uh, it's the, usually the year, so this next one will be Gallifrey 2006. So well, they have... No. Yeah, hey. they have... Um, I'm sorry for interrupting you, James. They have, like, a theme for each Gallifrey, which I always think is really cool, you know, be it like a... Um, uh, groove in 70s thing or different things. You know, they, they, they do a theme for their, their conventions and it's out in Los Angeles. It's always in February. And, um, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm keeping my fingers crossed and, and maybe, you know, I can save up some pennies and, and get a chance to go out there. I've, I've been meaning to do it. So that'd be anyway, awesome. If we, if that we is, that pretty much wraps up the news portion of the program. Unless I've forgotten anything, gentlemen. No, I think that's it. Yeah. All right, then we'll be back in a second with uh, Doctor Who Podshock. We'll be uh, coming back with our review of the DVD, The Mind Robber. Stay where you are! Is this intelligence you serve? And why was I brought here? Well, as you see, I'm no longer young. Whereas you, Doctor, are ageless. You exist outside the barriers of time and space. And you want me to, to take, take over this unique situation to take my place. I refuse! Refusal is impossible. You are here to serve us. There is no alternative. 
We're back with Doctor Who Podshock, and now we're going to go right into our review of the DVD, The Mind Robber, that stars Patrick Troughton. Mm, great story by P- uh, Peter Lynn. Mm-hmm. It should be mentioned. Uh, directed by David Maloney. Yes, uh, a five-parter. It originally was intended to be a four-parter, and The Dominators, the story before The Mind Robber, was slated on being six, and they ran out of... Uh, they, they felt <laughs> it was running a little long, and they cut that down to five, and they added the extra episode to the beginning of The Mind Robber. But if you look at the running time, overall running time of the story, they, they had a tendency to make the normally 23 to 25 minute long episodes a little bit shorter. Um, and it was a bit of padding going on, you know, in, in those days. But, but uh, a few things I wanted to point out, uh, about the genius of the mind robber and the show at the time in general was the fact, uh, a couple quick things. One, they would open an episode. They, episode one opens up with just the, the main cast, just, you know, Dr. Jamie and Zoe, mm-hmm. with the TARDIS interior, a couple of leftover robots, and just a white sheet, essentially. Mm. And they hold your attention, and, and there's drama and suspense for these 20-plus minutes. Exactly. See, it yes. is mesmerizing, I think. I, I love, personally, I love the black and white episodes. I think it gives, without color, because... We're so used to seeing things in color in, in modern television. It gives it a whole edge and something really interesting and intriguing to, to look at t- television from a different angle and just only see lights and darks. Um, and I, I think it gives it, for me, I, I don't know about you guys, uh, a whole new sort of sci-fi edge, uh, a, a sort of a classic. And it, it, it is actually quite scary, you know. Uh, yeah, with all the sound it's, effects and stuff, it's, it's it's a bit freaky. It's sort of like the classic Twilight Zones, um, which were in black and white and shot incredibly well and lit incredibly well. It's it just it's it's just works so much better in black and white as opposed to like the newer Twilight Zones that were in color. Yeah. Well, the black and white definitely lent itself to, um, especially in that first episode where they were this in this sort of land of nothing, this whole this mm-hmm. nothingness. The black and white just added to the, the, the mystery or, the, yeah. or the, the curiosity that the audience had as to what was going on there. And mm. it was just you know, completely brilliant. And yeah. in episode two, uh, you know, Fraser Hines uh, in, in real life had the chicken pox. And in, again, an unprecedented move, this is television history that we witnessed, a main character of a show is replaced by another actor for one episode. And this... <laughs> It could only happen in Doctor Who or a really cheesy soap opera. Well, like, fortunately, <laughs> the mind robber story lent itself to do this. I mean, it did, you, yeah. I mean, since we were dealing with the land of fiction and, and fantasy, this episode's sort of like a almost a one-off on Doctor Who that it really dwells into the fantasy side. I mean, episode one is more um, more psychedelic and more um, cerebral, cerebral yeah. than. Uh, um, you know, than what we're used to seeing. And, and I think it works very well in that one. And, um, you know, and I th- think some of the themes they were playing with, um, you know, Jamie seeing what he most wanted to see is Scotland, the highlands of Scotland, and Zoe seeing his ho- her home city. Um, and then the doctor hears a voice, and we're not sure, you know, what the doctor's referring to. And um, it's, it's pretty interesting how it all plays out. It is, and uh, I, th- I think it has to be said of the second episode that... Uh, you know, credit has to go to Hamish Wilson, who, who takes the part of Jamie mm-hmm. very well, I think. Because, um, obviously, it's got to be big shoes for you to fill to, to to kind of come over just for the one episode and sort of take over the role of... Uh, and have to feel comfortable being that lead. Absolutely, he, yeah. He couldn't feel like a guest star. He had to feel like part of the team. And yeah, so uh, it's pretty... I'm sorry. It was just pretty funny. I don't know if you heard the commentary of Wendy Padbury, who, who plays Zoe, uh, said, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't, it been, wouldn't it have been funny if um, we just kept with him, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just kept with um, Hamish, you know? Yeah, and, kept him on forever, and, and that would have been next to poor old Fraser Hines. <laughs> <laughs> and he, here we are some, you know, uh, decades later after this, this episode aired, and she's still giving it to Fraser Hines, which is great. <laughs> um, and, and I really... Uh, 
you know, we're talking about how, how Hamish William, um, Hamish Wilson came in and, and just sort of, you know, jumped right aboard. He got the mannerisms down very quickly, you know, really very believable Mm -hmm. in the part, which, and like I said, it's television history to Mm -hmm. see. And Another this was all short time. notice. He had really no time to kind of prepare for no this. No time. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing that's most obvious, uh, really, the only thing that, that's bad about him taking over, and it, that's the only, the only thing that you can tell that it's short notice, is the fact that he's, he's wearing a bit of a dodgy wig. Yeah, and, yeah and I that's saw a, that. You know, that's, <laughs> the, that's the only clue that, that he's just come, come in, you know, yeah. essentially... Oh my God! Poor Fraser's got the chickenpox. What do we do? Hamish, you step into the role. You're a Scotsman. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're gone. <laughs> now, uh, uh, again, playing the the the, uh, the devil's advocate here on uh, on Podshock. Stories like this, and, and this uh, will relate. Uh, it reminds me a bit of uh, a Celestial Toymaker. I didn't. I don't really care for the sort of fictiony thing going on. I, I like. I like the invasion kind of stuff a little bit better, a little mm-hmm. more the, the monsters and things yeah. like that. A, a great, you know, um, offshoot of Doctor Who, and it's great to see that that touch of yeah. experimentation. But this as, is not as, something yeah. I would normally pick. No, as my I mean, Doctor if, they, if, if this was a trend and we like this was like every other episode, I you know I probably wouldn't be a fan. You know, this is I mean, it's nice to do a little escapism like this once in a while, but not. You know, on a regular basis. Although, having said that, I wouldn't mind seeing um, Wendy Padbury in that sort of sparkly uh, oh, that, yeah, that was, costume was more say, often. You know, sure. <laughs> on the rotisserie Tardis Council, uh, yes, screaming <laughs> and, and wailing as she rotates around while smoke uh, comes. Well, down. I tell you, I really enjoy this this particular crew uh, for the for the Tardis. I really enjoy yeah. uh, the dynamic that. Patrick Troughton and, and Fraser Hines and Wendy Padbury had Absolutely. together. They really they had great chemistry. They clearly enjoyed what they were doing. And that's not to knock the rest of Patrick Troughton's era because uh, I liked Victoria as well. I liked I, I really like Ben and Polly a lot, and I'm probably in the minority when it comes to being a Ben, a ben and Polly fan. I, I really liked their characters as well. Um, but but this one clearly got, has just excellent chemistry and um, mm, mm. um the the episode after the mind robber the invasion is one of my favorites of all time and mm-hmm. my favorite of the black and white yeah same here um you just you just I, a cyberman freak that's what it I'm, is I'm a cyberman freak I'm a unit guy and I'm, and what I particularly <laughs> like uh, about the invasion is that the production values despite the fact that it was Doctor Who the production values were very high. Yeah, top and notch. In, in Douglas Camfield's, uh, to Douglas Camfield's credit, he was a master at being given 10 pounds to do something with and getting 20 pounds worth of visual out of it. Mm. Uh, by visual trickery and, 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 you know, just, that's, that's something that's, um, you know, again, it's to his credit. It's just he was he was brilliant with that. Uh, he could get six Cybermen costumes and two Jeeps to look like a full army in an invasion. Yeah. It's just it's that takes so much talent to pull it that does. off. It does. I mean, I think personally, I'm sure you guys will agree with me on this. That nowadays we're too we're we're desensitized to special effects. Special effects are not. Uh, interesting to us anymore with CGI and everything. I think it's so much more clever uh, as a viewer now because people are turned on. People know exactly when, even mm-hmm. even if the CGI is fantastic, they can tell what's CGI and what's models. And, you know, and they it, just expect it now. Yeah, whereas they I think... They expect it to be, you know, to be... Russell T. Davies said that on one of the Doctor Who Confidentials. He said, people just expect it now. It's just, there's no way you could go back to the way Doctor Who used to be made because... The expectations are at a certain level, and even the cheapest TV show needs to meet a certain level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I just think that it's so clever, the way that they can shoot something from a different angle, as you say, without, you know, breaking the bank. And it looks convincing. It looks real. You don't have to get CGI in there. It looks 100% real, uh, not the sort of shaky sets that Doctor Who's been associated with in... in uh, quite frequently, I, I just I really like that, and I think we should see more of that in today's in, in, television. And, and we, 
in a comparison to what we're talking about with this, I don't know if you saw, uh, if you had a chance to see the new War of the Worlds directed by Steven Spielberg with, with Tom Cruise. Um, again, I'm a guy who is, I'm, I'm a Spielberg guy. I, I enjoyed the movie and, and, and a few people that I know who don't particularly like Tom Cruise sort of wrote the movie off without seeing it. And what makes Steven Spielberg the great director he is at, that he is, is he has all these CG tools at his disposal as well, and yet there are scenes upon scenes in that movie where it's a character's eyes or the sweat on their brow and not the monster. Mm, that's what you need. You need atmosphere. Because um. the character's fear will translate to the audience. The bug doesn't make you scared. Mm. The, the special effect does not create the fear. It's the human being's response to that that, makes that you creates scared. the fear. It's all psychological, yeah. isn't it? Um, I mean, drawing another another um, sort of parallel to it, another fantastic film that, that I really like, which kind of uh, quite a few people didn't, is the movie uh, Signs. Uh, a moment in that particular film that really sort of scared the pants off me was uh, was when the the aliens were first revealed, and there was quite a bit of build up to it. It showed like this. I think it was a school classroom, and they showed uh, kids in the room with the teacher and a few adults sort of staring out of this window, screaming and sort of look, being very <laughs> frightened. And then all of a sudden, you had this sort of eight foot alien walk across the the back screen, and it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and that's what you need. You need atmosphere, and as you say. Seeing just this this alien ordinarily, it wouldn't scare you. But because it, the tension is built up, you see the human reaction. You're completely right, Ken. I couldn't agree with you more. Well, but, M. Well, M. Knight's a student of of the Spielbergian philosophies in that way that you could make a movie tense and scary and dramatic and and make it PG. Mm. Because if you look, you know, if you look at signs and you compare it, let's say to a to a um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Same thing. Close Encounters was scary as hell. Mm. But it was never... It was rated PG. But the, the thing that's scary for me is the mystery. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, Spearberg learned that lesson early on with Jaws. I mean, he couldn't get the damn shock to work, but that worked to the film's advantage because you didn't see the shock right away. And it was mm. this whole mystery, what was underwater, what, you know, what Where was is this creature. Yeah. Uh. And, and, and this actually translates back to Doctor Who on, on two fronts, if I may. Mm -hmm. uh, the missing episode, Fury from the Deep, uh, this same kind of what you didn't see was what made that story so spooky. The reverse is true of a, of an episode I happen to like, and I know a, a lot of people don't. Uh, Warriors of the Deep, Peter Davison, was always knocked that the thing that it, that really detracted from it was the lack of atmosphere. If the story would have taken place in a dark submarine base where you didn't outright see the Merker or the Silurians or the Sea Devils, that that mystery would have been created. The problem that that the story suffered from was this just, you know, fluorescent ice cream aisle lighting, you know, going on like you were in the middle of a supermarket. Mm, yeah. yeah. So well, there was, there's, that's my, my comparison in, in Doctor Who standards. Some of the greats, the things that, that become legendary are when, uh, is, is something when directors take advantage of that. The shadows, the dark, the, the mystery, a less is more approach. The Macro Terror was another one. Uh, you know, while we're on Pat Troughton, the Macro Terror was an episode that, quite honestly, if you got a view of the Macro in daylight, you'd be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> but the, atmo the, the atmosphere of the story, as so the legend goes, and we, we're only, we can only use audio clips and, and some stills from it, um, was the fact that it wasn't well lit, it was very dark, it was very mysterious, and that's how you created the, the, the suspense. Mm -hmm. well, and going back to the mine robber, they had very little funds to work with with this story, and they just had to make do with what they could. Um, and one of the um, caveats with uh, the, rest the restoring the episode and putting it on DVD is that, in a sense, it's too clean sometimes, and we get mm. to see some of the, um, like one of my pet peeves is the photographic walls, and that really gets <laughs> under my skin. Oh, yeah. Yes, you, know, me too. Yeah. you know, we have to make allowances for that. And, and you, actually, if you watch the monitor screen when they're panning across Scotland, 
Yeah. But with, with Jamie, you know, thinking that he sees home, mm-hmm. you can see the seam in the photograph. Like, it came out of a book, and you can see the spine of the book. Mm. I, I, I'm sure it wasn't a book, but you can clearly see a spine. Well, well the thing the, is that the... we're seeing these episodes probably cleaner now than they were originally broadcast when they originally transmitted in the U.K. Um, after the restoration, you know, team has gotten to it. And, and real... the same thing happened with... Um, the original Star Trek series, when it got to uh, DVD, um, not not so much the flaws were exposed, but we had a chance to see these shows better than we saw them originally. Mm. Back in the 60s, mm. if you were watching Doctor Who or Star Trek, you had chances are you had a black and white television. And it was coming in fuzzy. <laughs> it was coming in fuzzy. It was coming yeah. from rabbit ears. Rabbit ears. Uh, you know, you've, and when you had rabbit ears, you always had ghosts. Yeah. So, uh, and and... Well, Lou and I had a conversation about this last weekend that I started watching Doctor Who in the United States on UHF before, before, uh, my home had cable television. Mm-hmm. So I was used to watching this on UHF with, you know, the usual brand of snow, you know, a, a nice spattering of snow on the screen. So now to watch them on DVD, the same kind yeah. of situation. When the first time I watched it, a lot of those flaws were hidden, so you paid attention to the acting, the dialogue, the, the story. The, the sure. story. Uh, your imagination filled in the gaps. Hmm. Yeah, well, a, a perfect example of that is the the white room, the seamless white room that they acted in. That's the the white nowhere um, space that Jamie and Zoe were in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can actually see the floor lines now in the DVD, where mm. originally you wouldn't be able to see that. Yeah. And, um, I, I mean, I had worked in one of those rooms, like you know, 20 years after that episode was made, and they they construct it in a different way that even, you know, you, it's impossible. There are no floor lines now, but yeah. at that time, that's what they did, and um, you know, at the time, you didn't really see the floor lines. Yeah, I mean, I'll vouch for that too because uh, I I have a friend of it has a copy of it on on VHS, and I've seen that, and you can't see see the floor lines at all. It just looks like literally. You know, a complete white all the way around. Um, but you know, you, you've got to give the show, you know, oh, credit absolutely. where it's due yeah. because. Yeah. Well, they, that's what my point was that they didn't have a lot of money to work with and they exactly. made do with yeah. what they had and they pulled it together. Um, well, another interesting thing about this story is that we're introduced to the master, not the master, <laughs> but yeah. the master. Yes. Yeah. So, so we um, don't know if it's not the master <laughs> officially, but it could I be, I suppose, but. <laughs> You know, not not officially, I suppose. Yeah, I <laughs> One of the things that I uh, that I wanted to make mention, you know, about about the black and white, and, and mm-hmm. while we were talking about the restoration sure. team, if you go to the Doctor Who restoration team's website, uh, the process they use now on some of the old black and white episodes when they're converting them to DVD is something they call VidFire, which uh, makes the it really cleans up the picture enormously. And I don't know the technical processes. Uh, but they, they look like, um, like live television again and the way the, the frames are smooth mm-hmm. and I, I actually don't like it and I'll, I'll give you my, my reasoning behind it. If you watch it, for example, on VHS where it was straight off a film print, mm-hmm. I liked the black and white film feel a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it wasn't as clear. Yes, it wasn't perfect. There was some jumps, but again, we talked about atmosphere. And that film feeling, especially in stories like The Invasion, as an example, the film feel adds a an air of B-movie science fiction as yes. opposed to being yeah. a television well, show. Well, film has that texture. It has a texture, yeah. It, it makes it seem vintage as well, which nowadays you tend to find a lot of people moving towards going back to vinyl mm-hmm. and all that sure. sort of stuff. It, Black it, and white it, photography. It gives uh, you... you know, to sit down and to watch the film uh, and the as it was originally intended, you, you feel like you're watching a piece of history. You know, you, you're getting into the mood in which the original audience back in was it 1967, 1968 watched it as it was broadcast, and you get yourself into that mindset. And I like that about it. And I mean, I think perhaps they should have a. Uh, you know the original, perhaps the original film sequence, as well as the, um, the sort of. I would pay more to see that to see the the older than the than the newer well, sort of. I've actually wound up keeping some of my 
black and white VHS now, where mm. I've, as I've been replacing VHS with DVD, I've been selling previously viewed copies. You know, if there was, if there, if the VHS wasn't significantly different, for example, um, not Resurrection. What was that? Resurrection was Davison's Dalek episode? I'm, I'm I think so, yeah. yeah. Poor Resurrection of the Daleks. Blank, yeah. Blanking out. Um, the VHS and the DVD are significantly, well, maybe not significantly, but they're different mm-hmm. in that the VHS in America has the two original 45-minute episode version, uh, and then the DVD has a four-part cut of the, mo- of the, uh, the episode, and they're that's different because the original broadcast was 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so you wound up having to keep the VHS as well if you were a purist and wanted to keep both versions. Well, I'm finding myself now keeping the black and white in order to retain a film print of some of the black and white episodes. I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm going to do with that with all of them uh, simply because of storage space, but um, a few key episodes, the invasion and, and, and some of the ones that I, I like the atmosphere on a lot. I'm going to wind up keeping yeah. the VHS, particularly for some, what we were just talking about. Well, um, earlier, I mean, I, I knocked the, the the photographic walls, and you know, and as I said, they were making do with what they had. But I have to give a thumbs up for pulling off a stop motion effect for the Medusa. Yes. Um, oh yeah. In this episode, cool. I mean, for the you know, for all their low budget, they I know how intensive that is to actually put together and how much that costs. So. Um, I was quite surprised to see they pulled that off, um, it, and it worked fairly well. It did. I mean, it looked the motion looked very fluid because I mean, you, you look at other things from the time, uh, that very popular things, sort of dinosaurs and all that sort of stuff, animated in the same way, and you can yeah. tell it just looks sort of stagnant and jerky. This didn't, and it, it no, looked great. Very- Ray Harryhausen would have been proud. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another comment I just wanted to uh, make before we wrap things up here is um, uh, the Traveler, uh, uh, um, Gulliver, was played by Bernard Horsfell, who Mm -hmm. has a history of Doctor Who, um, in Doctor Who, I should say. Um, Later on, we see him again as a Time Lord. The very same season. Yes. And then later on with Tom Baker, he plays, I believe, the Castellan. Wasn't he the Castellan? He was the Chancellor. The Chancellor. Okay. Uh, A nice nod to the war game, as mm -hmm. a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And and he was also in um, Planet of the Daleks in in Partway. He's a great actor with a a, a wonderful voice and a wonderful presence on screen. Uh, And and Gulliver, I I love the fact that he could only speak what was was written in the original book, which is just genius. It was. It was very good. It, It gave it that kind of... Uh, I mean, as we said, the, the first episode had a very cerebral feel to it. Mm-hmm. But it kind of, I mean, less so in the, the second and third episode, probably because the audiences wouldn't tolerate it. Um, but that that gave it that, that bit of an edge, that edge of mystery. And, you know, why is this guy talking so funny, you know, <laughs> and in such antiquated language and uh, archaic uh, sort of stuff? And it, it brought but an to interesting credit, edge to it. Years later now, um, children are less exposed to stories like Gulliver's Travels. But if they become Doctor Who fans and they explore the history of Doctor Who, seeing that might make them want to discover more about it, which was the the reason the show was created. Yeah. Mm. So the the show still lives up to its its original intention, Mm -hmm. which was to... Broaden children's minds, and I mean, in, and adults. If, just to sort of mirror that to to the new series of Doctor Who, of, of course, uh, you know, episode uh, two, three, of oh, three, yeah, the, the Unquiet Dead, the, the Charles Dickens sort of oh, stuff. Oh yes, people mm-hmm. be exposed to Charles Dickens. I mean, you know, I at school read a, a few Charles Dickens stories, but you know, not they won't of every school, so that will immediately bring forward, you know, his, his classics, his greats, as well as uh, featured heavily in the episode was uh, the, the shorter stories, like the, the Signalman, which I thought was mm-hmm. very clever and, and very interesting of, of, the, uh, of the producers over at Doctor Who. So as you say, uh, Ken, exactly, they're, they're living up to the show's original themes, and uh, that's fantastic, that's great. Uh, all... Props to the BBC for, for sticking to their guns and carrying on strong. So that's been our review of uh, 
Doctor Who, the Mind the Robber. Mind Robber. Mm. Yes, from Patrick Troughton's classic I on think, DVD. Personally, I'm going to give this four out of five. I thought it was very well shot, uh, very well executed. But like Ken, playing the devil's advocate, uh, some of the things from the fiction... Uh, sort of style I didn't particularly like, um, but I think that's that's more to do with uh, personal taste. Yeah, rather than yes. the way it was executed, because as we stated, you know, they had to do the best with what they had, and you know that reflects a bit in in the episode. But uh, you know, it, it, for me, it's a great story, and I really enjoyed it. So, and what I'll are your say, thoughts, chaps? I'll, I'll say ditto to that. I mean, you 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 hit it right on the head. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, uh, same here. I think we're all in agreement with that. You know, as a one-off, this is fine, but, you know, you know. Let's not stick to it too, yes. too heavily. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with more Doctor Who Podshock. And now, perhaps we can get down to business. As we refuse to take over my post at the controls, we were forced to incorporate you into the computer itself. To what purpose? To bring the whole planet Earth under our control. And his people? We have no wish to destroy them. Merely adjust their minds to suit our purpose. Sausages! Man will just become like a string of sausages all the same. Man will simply vanish from the earth and reappear here. Leaving the earth undamaged and uninhabited for you to take over. Precisely. If I cooperate. You have no alternative. You are part of the master brain. So the computer feeds off my thoughts, does it? Correct. Then it will create what I think. Oh, oh no. No, no, no. You're now under control of the master brain. Are you so sure? You couldn't control my mind before, and you certainly can't control it now. Submit! No! You've given me equal power. It's now a battle of wits between you and me. Hey, it's Chris, your Aussie Doctor Who correspondent here on Podshock. To kick things off, I have a second opinion review of the ninth Doctor novel, The Clockwise Man, by Justin Richards, published by BBC Books. The Doctor and Rose land in 1920s London, and in typical Doctor Who fashion, find themselves embroiled in a murder mystery with a requisite exotic cast of characters, including the Painted Lady, a bunch of European exiles, and cats. Lots of cats. This is the first Doctor Who novel I'd read in almost eight years, and that's mostly due to the enthusiasm I have about the new series. Doctor Number no. 9 has been shortchanged at only 13 televised episodes, so my intention is to read all of the ninth Doctor novels. I'm not ready to let go just yet. Well, the first thing that struck me about this book was how incredibly well-written the two principal characters are. This is the Doctor and Rose that you've seen on the telly. They talk to each other and the other characters as you'd expect them to talk. They act as you'd expect them to act. Nothing they say or do is out of character and that's a great comfort. The other characters fare slightly worse off. They obviously don't have the depth of history behind them as the Doctor and Rose and I didn't find myself caring too much about anyone else. I was more intrigued by the mysteries that arose in the book, such as who took the TARDIS, what are the murders all about and what's behind the Painted Lady's mask. By the end, I was left slightly disappointed by the answers to these questions as the actual plot of the book I found to be somewhat lacking. Richard's writing style is sparse, to say the least. He's great at dialogue, but I found his descriptive prose skimped on important details such as exactly what is revealed when the painted lady unmasks her true face. The plot meanders around the second act with not a lot of things happening. The initial mystery captured my interest, but it doesn't build enough through the second act, which makes the resolution a little weak. It's simply not that interesting what happens to the TARDIS or why it's been stolen, for example, though I will admit to being quietly thrilled at the action set pieces and the revelations as to the true nature of who has really been exiled and why. I also found the painted lady to be one of the more compelling characters and wished Richards had complicated her character more, as when the masks do eventually come off, she's a simplified character and that was let down. 
I also would have liked to learn something about the Doctor and Rose in this book that I might not have learned from watching the TV series. As it is, all you need to know about the Doctor and Rose you'll have discovered by watching the show, and the book assumes you've done this. For example, I'm only a few pages into Winner Takes All by Jacqueline Rayner, and I've already discovered the name of Rose's teddy bear. Richard's missed an opportunity here to utilise the novel format to expand on these characters and give us some insight into what makes them tick. And with a title like The Clockwise Man, that would have been a perfect opportunity. But perhaps I was expecting a little too much from a book that is essentially aimed at a younger reader. The Clockwise Man gets... Two TARDIS groans out of four. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll be back in a few weeks, but now it's back to Ken, Lewis and James for more Podshot. And we're back with uh, Doctor Who Podshock. And that was Chris, our wonderful Australian correspondent, with his review of The Clockwise Man. Yeah, fantastic tell, review there. Yeah, yeah. great. Thanks. Uh, might I just say it's fantastic, amazing to have you on board. Uh, really great to, 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 I mean, we're already international as it is, but it's great to have that sort of, you know, more, more international feel uh, with with Doctor Who, as, as we are an international community, and it's, it's great to have you on board, and that was a, a very interesting review. Um, I really enjoyed it, and, uh, you know, me, me and uh, Lewis have just been talking about it before the show, and we're, we're just saying, you know, we really like the uh, the idea of the, the two whooshes oh, out yeah, of five. Oh, yeah, the TARDIS grinds. <laughs> very, very clever. I love so it. So, well done. Yeah, well done there, Chris, mate, and uh, keep it up. We're looking forward to, to listening to your continuing segments and, and playing them on the show. It's, it's great to have you on board. All right, it's time for the ever-popular Feedback Forum. And this week, actually, we had quite a lot of feedback. And, and in some ways, it's feedback. In some ways, it's just uh, some information and some networking and, and proof that the, the show is uh, really picking up some steam. Uh, several people emailing, writing in, uh, participating in... Your Doctor Who Podshock and our Doctor Who Podshock. And I'm going to start it, actually, with um, Corey, who was uh, talking about the American Doctor Who podcast called American Who. James, um, you tell us a little bit about what Corey had to say. Uh, Corey, uh, as Ken has rightly said from the uh, American Doctor Who broadcast, has said, uh, Hi guys, I love the show, the format's wonderful, and it's so nice to hear someone with a UK perspective. Cheers, Corey, mate. Although I am an American, something I never admit in public, I've grown up with people in the UK and therefore really identify with their way uh, and communicating, their humour, and just about everything else. My only regret is that my speech recognition sol uh, software spells with an American accent. How horrific. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't consider my own. I really want to thank you for the format of the show because it's wonderful to hear the news. And he goes on to, uh, to talk about how he's loved the, uh, the new uh, Doctor Who series, although he's, he's uh, well, our take on it, really. Um, and he, he, he talks about uh, why he thinks uh, the new series um, hasn't been picked up uh, by an American network, which is, of course, uh, what we've been talking about on the show frequently throughout uh, our stint here on our podcasts. And uh, he, he says, basically, just to give you a summary of it, he says that uh, Russell T. Davis has called this Series 1, with there only being 13 episodes, and traditionally in, in the U.S. There are, there are more than that to a season, Hence why, you know, over here we call things series rather than seasons because they're not sort of long enough in the UK to call them uh, seasons. That they're probably going to broadcast um, everything sort of back to back in order to make 22 or even 26 episodes. So it's certainly um, going to be interesting to see, to see how that pans out. And he, he makes some, uh, some great uh, comments there. Uh, and talks about BBC America and how they're, they're not uh, permitted at this time to run the program uh, because uh, the, uh, the BBC has uh, tried to slate it for, for a major network, um, which is cool. And, and that, so thanks a lot from, for the, the props, Corey. It's, it's great to hear from, from you, mate. And uh, he talks about Mars bars and stuff as well. Maybe, maybe I should uh, 
ships them over to you. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I'm, I'm going to correct myself. I'm sorry. I, I said that, that Corey's uh, email was about American Who, the the broadcast American Who, the, the radio show slash web show, uh, and, it, and it wasn't. Uh, Corey's was about broadcasting the show here in America. So correct right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because I believe, I don't know, um, I think Ken and I may have spoke about this in the past that we discussed this as a theory on why it hasn't been picked up in the U.S. is that maybe uh, the U.S. networks are waiting for more episodes to be available in the can, so to speak, um, to mm. offer, you know, for mm. the U.S. Because right now there's been 13 episodes uh, with um, Christopher Eccleston and um, with the Christmas Invasion coming up that will bring it to 14 and then it's, I think maybe they're looking to have at least 25 or 26 or 28 episodes, uh, before they can, you know, offer it, before they can take it rather, you know, and, and show it, you know, on a network here. Mm, mm. So some interesting, some interesting things. Also, um, Asa wrote in and, and was, was speaking a little bit about Doctor Who confidentials and the fact that they were cut down on, um, the upcoming brand new Doctor Who season one, as we'll call it, the Russell T. Davies season one. Um, and one of the reasons for that, to our knowledge, is that the copyrights on some of the pop music they use on the Doctor Who confidentials, uh, maybe it may be difficult to obtain the rights or the publishing on, on those pop songs. So that's one of the reasons we've heard not to expect the full length confidentials on the DVD box set. So. And, and you notice it's all the uh, the references to the classic series that have that uh, that, that contain music of that nature. So uh, the uh, it's been trimmed down to like 15 minutes as opposed to a half hour, and it's going to just kind of focus on the new series and, um, and won't really have much content on the original series. So that's a shame. Um, but that's the news uh, word is that's what's going to be on the DVD release. Mm-hmm. So, Again, thanks for to uh, Asa for writing in, for emailing in, and uh, let's continue. Uh, David Crawford, uh, along with um, Lou, the gentleman from Doctor Who New York, uh, John, is, and help me with his last name. Is it Ralston Bates? Would I, would I have said I, that right? I believe so. I, I, I don't have so. it John, me right if now. I didn't, please email me and let me know so that <laughs> I correct myself. But some some splendid guys uh, from. Uh, their website is dwny.org. And um, being that Lo- uh, Lou- Lewis and I are Long Island fellows uh, just outside of New York City, uh, this was a great opportunity to see that there's a new and active Doctor Who group here in New York, and, and we're actually very thrilled. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it. About uh, mm. getting a chance to meet these guys. And some of them are going to Regenerations next weekend out in Swansea. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so... Are we officially now here on the podcast? The three of us are now requesting that they give us their report on that particular <laughs> convention. Uh, Absolutely. In in whole, please. I believe there's also a a woman named Karen who I met on MySpace.com, which uh, has a Doctor Who group, uh, who I believe is from Philadelphia, but is somehow involved with DWNY. I'm, I'm kind of just spitballing here, so if I'm wrong, please correct me, and I will correct it on an upcoming show. But I believe she's going to Regenerations as well, and I've already requested um, via email that she make a report on it. But you know what? It's such a big convention, and there's so much going on. Please, by all means, we're we're all quite envious that you guys are going. We would love to go, Lewis and I. Um, and James, uh, unfortunately, is committed next weekend to, to something else. So, uh, unfortunately, podcasts... Podchuck, uh won't have a reporter on the ground there, so we're relying on you, please, to help us. Yeah, or if indeed if anybody else is uh, going along in the UK or from from elsewhere internationally, and you want to send us a report by email or audio, whatever, please do. We'd we'd really appreciate it because uh, you know I think I speak for everyone when when I say I'm really. Uh, quite jealous of, of anybody else who's going <laughs> and I, I plan to go but unfortunately uh, as Kenneth stated uh, things have got a bit ahead of me but but hopefully uh, soon uh, this year most certainly we'll head off to another uh, biggish Doctor Who convention and, and get the, the scope there and hopefully get some audio recorded for you guys so uh, stay tuned yes yeah, so we actually 
uh, both Lewis and I really have to get back in our convention mode because we feel a bit rusty, don't we, Lewis? It's been a while <laughs> since we've attended a Doctor Who convention. And actually, uh, some of the folks from ICON here in Stony Brook, Long Island, which is usually late March, early April uh, every year, they had one of their uh, monthly meetings the other day, and as yet, still no guest information. It's still a few months away till that convention comes around, but I just wanted to give you the quick update, being that I did speak with uh, with some of the uh, the members of the ICON staff. So mm-hmm. I'll give you the 411 when I can. Now, one other exciting thing we did get an, um, you know, we've been talking about audience participation in Podshock. And we've been getting it, which has been great, you know, from Australia and from around the world. But we've also mentioned um, Tom Dillahunt as an example, one of the gentlemen who also has a podcast who we'll be speaking with soon. Uh, we we got a mention on um, another, I'm not sure if it's a podcast, but it's an in- internet. Yeah, as far as I know, it's not. they're not podcasting as of yet. It's an internet radio show and slash broadcast show in, in mm-hmm. certain markets it may even be um distributed uh american who gave us a wonderful plug and we really appreciate it and their program is a, a show of of interviews and i believe the show is monthly that they new episodes are are posted monthly yeah i suspect so and it, you can just you can find their show if you go to our site gallifreyandembassy.org or potshot.net you can find a link to um, to their site and to where you can fetch their their shows. Mm-hmm. Also, sci-fi radio guy at AOL.com is the email address for the folks who put uh, American Who. And I believe they also have another show, Sci-Fi Overdrive. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, which is a more general science fiction show, I'm guessing. Uh, um, I've been listening now, catching up on my American Who episodes, but I have yet to listen to the Sci-Fi Overdrive. It's something I... I'll look forward to this coming week. Yeah. We, should ex- we should explain that American Who um, has interviews with uh, various different cast and crew members from Doctor Who series, which is excellent. And I'd like to encourage them, if they'd like to put a, um, a preview together of upcoming episodes, like a, like a trailer or something that we could air uh, as part of Podshock, that'd be great. You know, here's the October 2005's episode with, you know, something on it. That would be wonderful because... Uh, we would have an idea, a way of telling you guys, the, the listeners of, of Podshock, exactly what was coming up on American Who. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's just thrilling to really, everybody's been so enthusiastic um, in the other Doctor Who broadcast, uh, you know, the podcast and, and webcast and stuff. Everyone's really been like a, like a family, getting everybody together and, and just seeing, seeing such cooperation and fandom has really been, it really warmed my heart. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't mind, guys, I'd, I'd, I'd also like to, to thank um, Michael and Evo over at uh, The Slice of Sci-Fi while we're talking about of, uh, other great uh, science fiction-based podcasts. Um, and they actually played uh, our promo in their, oh, in their last oh. show. Yeah, I don't know if I mentioned it to you guys, but uh, I think it's, it's the last one, which was uh, no, uh, podcast number 24. They... They play our promo towards the end of the show, so uh, cheers for that, guys. It's uh, much appreciated. That's awesome. It's really the show. It, it's still it's still in its infancy. When you think about, it, we've been doing this what maybe maybe two months tops, and mm-hmm. I'm still wearing my diapers. Yeah, yeah and, and, it's, uh, <laughs> and it's really you know it, it quickly the word of mouth has spread, and other shows have have helped us out, and and we're. We're doing our best to reciprocate. It's really been a lot of fun, and um, we've, we've spoken about this over the last couple of weeks. We really, really appreciate everybody's input and their help and their suggestions and, and the word of mouth that's getting out there about it. And mm. everything will only get better because this is the most exciting time being a Doctor Who fan right now. The new show is incredible. It's eventually going to reach our shores here in the U.S. Uh, it's already a worldwide phenomenon in you know Australia and New Zealand and the UK, of course. So, mm-hmm. it is. Uh, this is just a, a great time to be a Doctor Who fan and to be a science fiction fan uh, as well. Indeed. So, that um, has that concluded our 
I feedback? So. Have we pretty much covered everybody's feedback? I, I don't want to leave anybody well, out. Well, I do want to encourage everyone to go to our website. We have a great forum section, and to leave feedback there, uh, we do appreciate your email as well, but uh, we do have a great forum section where people are leaving feedback and interacting with others. So go to uh, gallifreyandembassy.org. Or podshock.net. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Spelling Gallifrey and Embassy takes up too much tickling of the keys. <laughs> so, well, that about that just about wraps it up for uh, for us in another super swinging, sexy edition of Doctor Who Podshock. I should have gotten there too. Yeah, guys. Sorry, we'll have to work that out for next episode. <laughs> uh, next week, I believe we're going to be speaking with Tom Dillahunt, who yes, who does um. Podcast Who, another excellent podcast on Doctor Who. Uh, you're going to want to check it out. That's next week on Doctor Who Podshock. We'll be interviewing Tom Dillahunt. Plus tons of surprises. You'll just have to stay tuned, and we'll we'll bring you up to speed on that. I'm sure mm. we'll have some reviews and commentary and, of course, news. And So, for James in the U.K. and Lewis to the left of me, this is Ken Deep. We'll see everybody next week. Yeah, take care, guys. Yes. Cheers, Cheers, guys. Bye. by the fan run GallifreyandEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and copyrighted by the BBC. Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at podshock at GallifreyandEmbassy.org.